Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to the first ever episode of Histopoly, a new little podcast that we're going to be shooting at to you guys, primarily focusing on history and hopefully relating that to the modern political situation that we have um, luckily found ourselves in. Uh, you know the old saying, history always repeats itself, and I, and I really think it's important to really take note of more specific instances, and hopefully that's what we're going to be doing here. Anyway, uh, my name is Will. I'm going to be the host this week, most likely for the long foreseeable future. So with that, I think we're just going to hop right into our first week's topic right here. And today we're going to be focusing on a, a pretty common question that I think a lot of introductory United States history courses are, are going to look at. And that's American Revolution or American War for Independence. What's the difference? Are these interchangeable terms? Are these the same thing? Are, this, are they both wars? Are they both conflicts? Are they both ideas? What's happening? I know that was a lot of questions I just shot out at once, but uh, hopefully we're going to be able to tackle, uh, tackle at least a few more answers. So let's hop right into it. So I think uh, a really important first step is going gonna, is gonna to be a definition of what a revolution really is. So uh, you, you Google it, you, you type in revolution, you're going to come up with this definition. A fundamental and relatively sudden change in political power and political organization which occurs when the population revolts against the government, typically due to perceived oppression or political incompetence. Now that is just a, a lot of garbage words in there to just basically say, a change in political organization because people didn't like what was going down. I mean, it's a little bit more cut and dry when you just put it that way. Um, I actually prefer Aristotle's analysis and politics a little bit more because he's just a little bit more straight cut to it. Doesn't go into as much into the oppression or the population physically revolting. He just says that it's a complete change from one constitution to another or he even classifies some modifications of an existing constitution as revolution. Um, if, it's, if it's revolutionary, the ideas that are being put forth. Uh, just to counter these uh, definitions for some, for some more astute political science people, uh, Theta Skokpole once wrote that her belief in a true revolution is uh, if there's no social mobility... And if the revolution is non-socialist, it's not uh, it's not a true revolution. And that's one that you're going to see pop up a lot regarding the American Revolution, as most complaints that we're going to get into have to do with social mobility and the actual development of who's in charge of the new government. Now, the war for independence is obviously a bit more self-explanatory. What does that mean? Uh... American colonies don't want to be part of Britain anymore. They want to be independent. That's all. A war of independence is just a breaking of either a colony, a state, a former nation, breaking away from whoever is uh, currently in control and becoming independent. That's a bit more cut and dry, a lot easier to explain. Now, this is where the differences really start showing up. When did the war for independence start? And when did the American Revolution start? So for that, we're going to dig deep onto a little bit more of the reasons for each of these conflicts and ideas. So for one, the revolution definitely stems back further than the war for independence. 
the revolution is this gathering of ideas that the American people, uh, no matter who they are, as long as they're white male property owners, um, as long as they don't have a say, this is they don't want a part of whatever society is happening. That's really the basis of the American Revolution, is this revolution idea that all people, as long as they're white male property owners, should have a say in the government. And I think you start seeing that primarily after the French-Indian War, uh, the Seven Years' War, whatever uh, you call it, um, and then the taxes start coming down. And what's really interesting when you look at a lot of these laws, contrary to popular middle school education, and unfortunately sometimes high school education, uh, the American Revolution was not about the the raising of taxes. Actually, in fact, a lot of times taxes were cut. It was just that the enforcement of these taxes became very severe. And one case that I really think is interesting is the British government decides to crack down on smuggling because that's how most people were avoiding taxes was uh, by smuggling goods. So the British government, in order to stamp down on this, moves the court systems from colonial government for smuggling to the to the British government will now deal with colonial criminals who were caught smuggling. And this really obviously angers uh, a lot of the colonists because that's not your peers. You're not being judged by your peers. It's not. It doesn't come off as fair because how does a British judge really ascertain what is justice for someone who they who they are not one of which i think is important especially in modern times when you're looking at china and hong kong situation currently that's again where a lot of the the rebellion and revolution has stemmed there when china decided to hold criminals from hong kong uh to the same standards as a criminal in china where Hong Kong is supposed to have this other privilege of we run ourselves, we're different than you, therefore we should enact our own justice to a certain extent. And I just think it's interesting that you see history repeating itself so blatantly here, and I feel like because so much is going in the, going on in the world right now, the Hong Kong is really being shoved aside, and that's really important, especially for Americans. I feel like we should be able to understand that plight more. Um, just for that reason, uh, it, it mirrors a lot of what we stood for, what we once understood as leading to American Revolution. Uh, and that has the same line for independence. Obviously, the revolution has to come first. It happened in Hong Kong. It's happened, it happened in America. The revolution has to start before the war for independence. The revolution is being guided in this sense of ideas, where war of independence is more of a, a spiraling off of the same idea. Because, uh, as I just said, those acts uh, where the revolution begins is really um, almost immediately after that tax bill is sent. The moment, I believe, the colonies start organizing as a unit to argue against the British crown... Uh, for more, for change in the government, that's the revolution. Uh, because as, as Aristotle said, as I mentioned before, a modification of an existing constitution or, or the want thereof is still a revolution. 
Uh, of course, it becomes a full change later on, as we know, due to the War for Independence. It, that's the moment the revolution begins, is the moment they call for a modification. Uh, when they say we want representation in this government, we don't want laws being put forward to us that aren't exactly what we deem justice, uh, that's the moment the revolution really starts. The war for independence, in my opinion, begins 15 months after the outbreak of military action in the American Revolution slash war for independence. The moment the Declaration of Independence is signed, that's the moment the war for independence really begins. Before that, there is no goal for this for this war, for these military conflicts, besides changing the core constitution of how they're being run. So that's where the revolution ideas become. But for a while, especially if you read a lot of these letters and ideas of even soldiers, citizens in the colonies at the time, it's a, it's a pretty split opinion over, should we split from the British crown? Should we remain with the British crown with differences? Or should we just give up this whole thing and let the British crown run the British subjects? As a lot of people in the colonies do still identify as British citizens, even after the American Revolution is totally done, this is, it, it continues to be a bit of a problem. I mean, that's going back to a lot of the problems that Scockpole has with the American Revolution, is nothing truly changes socially because a lot of people didn't fully mind a lot of the things with British culture, with British systems, with their government. I mean, it, it goes socially. You see... Um, people still speak English, people still use the red, white, and blue in our flag, people still, uh, there's not a lot of true hatred from a lot of people for British customs. I mean, tea, obviously, uh, became less prevalent, but at the time, in late 1700s, early 1800s, tea rivals its popularity in America just as much as it does in Britain. I mean, it's really seen as a universal good. That's why the Boston Tea Party was so effective, because that good at the time is is, is called kind of like a universal good where everyone wants it, everyone accepts it, which is why it was so radical for them to tax it. But, and then you also see the British in, in our political systems are still there. I mean, Congress, bicameral, modeled after Parliament. We have the House of Lords Senate, we have the House of Commons, uh, House of Representatives. It's, it's not far off. We didn't veer totally one way. There's no removing of our colonial symbols as you see sometimes in africa they'll do that latin america there was times of that new york is still called new york we didn't get rid of york new jersey still called new jersey we didn't get rid of that virginia is still named after the queen didn't get rid of that so we don't mind or, or the american colonists don't mind as much of the time these symbols which is why i think a lot of people look at it and go did a revolution really take place here because obviously when we, when we think about revolutions we think of France, destroy their country, you know, hang the heads of their oppressors on a, uh, cut it off in front of the Times Square, or, I mean, the town square. They, it's radical. You look at the Russian Revolution, uh, execute the entire royal family, get rid of the bloodline, uh, burn anyone, burn down villages, burn down this, burn down that. Where in America, you have these wide-scale conflicts but it's not like society's being uprooted. I mean, there are a lot of people living during the American Revolution that aren't, that their lives are not being destroyed. 
they're they're still going to work at, well, as much as work was at the time. You know, they're still working their little shop or farming their land. And if they're not a soldier, their life isn't that affected by it. I mean, a lot of people's lives post-war, before war, pretty similar. Just a different George in charge, you know? So that's that's something that a lot of historians struggle with, um, really pointing the finger at. But it's what I think defines the American Revolution as revolutionary is the ideas. Uh, what, what these people are saying at the time. And though, according to Google, this wouldn't be a revolution because it's, it's not so much a relatively sudden change in political power and political organization. I mean, it is. Because we, we go from a king to a president. Or at least not even a president at first. Kind of nothing. And then slowly a president. So there is a small sudden change that doesn't feel totally revolutionary. But the revolutionary ideas that are really put forth here in, in the Declaration of Independence, in the Constitution, that is what makes this a revolution. Because the political ideas that are being put forward, that they are that they're saying that we want to activate these ideas that people like John Locke had uh, a, a while ago now, that we're actually going to do these things. That's what's revolutionary about it, that it can that other countries are going to look at and say, hey, that's possible because they beat the they beat the British army. They're free to do it now. As much as people think we look back now and we say, hey, they didn't do as much of it as perhaps they should have. You know, they still, they're talking about how they feel enslaved to the British Empire, but own slaves. So obviously things like that, we can look back on now and kind of say, did they really do these ideas? But, you know, we can argue all day about which ideas were put forward, which ones were uh, ignored, perhaps. But at the end of the day, they legitimized this idea that those historical, I mean, these political theories that Locke, uh, uh, Rousseau have all put forward in the past, it's not impossible to activate these theories. It's not impossible to want these theories to be really in your government, embedded in the documentation of it. Uh, and then it's, what happens is over time, it's up to us to fully activate these ideas. Do we want them or not? We can look back in the past and say, hey, they didn't do it, but they wrote it down for us to be able to activate them. You know, Thomas Jefferson writes that all people are created equally. The man owns slaves. So clearly his idea on that isn't fully activated in his mind, but he's putting it down there knowing in the future it will be activated. I, I mean, I, I never met the guy. I don't know. I don't know if he actually did ever want the slaves to be freed. You can read letters from him that go back and forth. Sometimes he says he feels horrible for it. Sometimes he says it's not a big deal because it's his property. Um, and that's the case with most founding fathers. It's that they kind of know what they're doing is against their revolutionary cause, and it's holding back the revolution. But at the same time, they're so nervous to break that status quo and cause what, what I think a lot of people interpret as a full revolution. Uh, which I which I just think is really interesting. So now that I sidetracked uh, on there for a little bit, uh, just to get back to the question, which is which? Um, these are not interchangeable terms, in my opinion. American Revolution and American War for Independence—they're not. 
because there's definitely two different goals. The American War for Independence is just that, a war to no longer be a part of England. The revolution is something that started, you know, 15, 20 years before the American War for Independence, and in my opinion, is still going on. Until these ideas are fully adapted and all people feel like they are embodying that spirit of revolution and all people can really honor the ideas that those founding fathers put forward, the revolution's not over, you know? The revolution is just a set of ideas. That's all a revolution really ever is when you look at history. It's just a set of ideas. Do people act on it or not? I mean, you look at something like the Industrial Revolution, that's a revolution. There's no war around it. There's no fighting around it. Uh, but it's a revolution because it changes your way of life. It's a set of ideas. It, it's a little bit more practical ideas. It's a little more tangible. You know, when you look at machinery and the way we uh, work in factories instead of farms. But it's a revolution just the same. And I think the American Revolution is still alive in a lot of people's minds. I mean, you look at society now. The debates they're having, not so far off from the debates that were happening here in the 1770s, that were happening in the 1860s, that were happening in the 1930s. It's, are we all equal? Do we all have a say? Are we being ruled fairly? And that's the ideas that they people brought up and they said, hey, America's always going to fight for these ideas. And uh, hopefully they still are. As, as long as Americans are, I think that those ideas are being spread to the world, especially with such a large presence being built up in the last 250 years that America has been rolling around. But that's why the American Revolution, in my opinion, shouldn't be so interchangeable with the American War for Independence because the American War for Independence didn't say really that any change would happen. Who was to say that we wouldn't have another king? Who's to say George Washington wouldn't be King George? There wasn't any say at that point. If you take out the revolutionary ideas of it, the American War for Independence can absolutely still happen, probably would have always happened. You know, like Canadian independence. It's not a revolution. There was no war for it, but it's the same independence movement. It's, it's the same, no longer fully under British control. Uh, obviously, they still are under the Queen in in theory, in ideas, but Canadians, Australians, not under British control. But what what's interesting in American, because I think there's that war there, there's that hostility, uh, I think people view American independence, Canadian independence, Australian independence as such radically different things because of those revolutionary ideas behind it. So they automatically just tie those two things together. Because it, it, it's nice to make it sound like that. It's nice to say that after this one war, the revolution was over. There was nothing more to fight for. Uh, that was it. Because it, it fits well in a history book. To have the chapter just be called American Revolution. And then the, the subtext to be just called American War for Independence. Oh, the same thing. Yeah, it's your history teacher. They'll be like, oh, it's the same thing. It's not. The, a, a revolution ha- doesn't have to have... A military stop point behind it. The revolution's still definitely going on during, you know, the the constitutional convention. There's ideas floating. 
Just because it's not against British people doesn't mean it's not a revolution. The revolutionary ideas are still being spoken about at the Constitutional Convention extremely. Because it just goes to show, like I mentioned before, that there were just so many disagreements about what comes before independence, what comes after independence. There's no mainstream thought. There's just these ideas being being floated around. I don't think the revolutionary ideas ever stop. Um, truly ever. And I think that's the model of the American government. Uh, that we're always... It's set up in the way that our ideas are always being flowed into the government over and over again to adapt to the times. The Constitution, we can edit it whenever we want. Because the Founding Fathers knew the revolution wasn't over. They knew a revolution or a true revolution doesn't stop because the guns are put down. Honestly, it just flourishes more when you talk instead of fire a bullet at a redcoat. And I, and I think that's really important for, for modern day uh, interpreters to look at and to really understand that the Founding Fathers were fighting for independence physically, but intellectually they were fighting for something so much more, for something so much bolder. And I, and I, and I think they would be excited to know that that fervor for reforming the government and making it as perfect as it can be for our citizens would go on. You know, I see arguments saying that, like, the Founding Fathers would be rolling in their graves if they looked at what was happening now. Perhaps, at first, yeah, it'd be a bit of a shock to see what has happened to the country. Of course it would be. I guarantee they put you 250 years in the future, you're going to be in for a shock too. But if the ideas that you had fought for were still there, that people were still able to go and, and march in front of the White House, and people were still able to walk down Times Square to talk about what they want to talk about, that the mayor was right there with them, that the governor was right there with them, I think they would actually be extremely excited to hear that. That their ideas had been put forward, that way you don't have to take out a gun to get the job done. That way you can just talk about it. That way the, their system that they put in place to prevent that was still happening. And I think that's something that it gets lost sometimes in, in history classes, especially in, the, in that middle school, high school level, because who wants to explain that to a 13-year-old? Who wants to explain that to a 16-year-old? Hell, not a lot of people would want to explain that to a 50-year-old. But I, but I think it's an important discussion to have at, at one point. Because not everyone's going to take a history class in college. Not everyone's going to go to college. So, it, so it's important to get that idea in there at, at those essential educational levels. To get it in there that these ideas didn't die, that they did not end when we got rid of the king. And I think that's really where I want to leave it off for today, is just this idea that the war for independence was successful. That movement's over. But the American Revolution and the revolutionary ideas, they're never going to be over. That, that fight is never going to stop. That revolution, uh, for as long as there is an America, there will be an American Revolution. There will be those revolutionary ideas there. So, if you guys enjoyed watching, uh, give us the old follow on, on our Twitter. Uh, you can check it out, Histopoly. You can give us the old subscribe, download, on whatever platform you're 
listening to this on. And if you have any ideas, you have any recommendations, hit us up on our socials, uh, leave a review with a question, and maybe we'll even uh, feature that idea on a future episode. So thank you. I've been Will. This has been Histopoly, and we're checking out.